1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media Thanks to the
0: generosity of
1: our supporters Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available To help people look to God daily Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au Today 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 with Jeff Vines,
0: We are taking the gospel to the world Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher
1: Bringing people far from God, near to God
0: we believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion Passion. connecting every one person to all that god has promised them hey, you make
1: me- Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Well, there's a lot we can glean from Matthew chapter 7. Hi, my name is Bill, and in his message today, Pastor Jeff is speaking about what Jesus says at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He reminds us that not everyone who says they know him will join him in eternity. He says heaven is a spacious place, but the way is narrow and marked by faithful hearts, not just good deeds and church services. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now in this, the final message in his series, Hey Up There.
0: Things we say that we don't actually mean. I want you to help me here. These are things we say that we don't actually mean it's fine. What we really mean is, it's anything but fine and I want to torture you. (laughs) We should have lunch sometime and catch up. What we really mean is, I can't believe I ran into you, the only way I'll have lunch with you is if you promise not to show up. (laughs) How about this one? I'm almost there. That really means I just pulled out of my driveway. (laughs) This is a hard one. Your baby is so cute. Now there are various meanings here. The best case scenario is the person means your baby is really cute, almost as cute as Pastor Jeff's granddaughter. That's what they could mean, okay? Or they could mean, a higher probability is they probably mean that I really have no idea if your baby is cute or not. I'm not really into babies. Worst case scenario, poor child, maybe he or she will improve with age. So you just got to pick one of those. All right, another one. How was your weekend? What you really mean is how long do we have to make polite small talk before I can get on with what I really want to ask you? right? How about this one? I'm not looking for something serious. Ever heard that one? What they really mean is I'm not looking for something serious with you. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. How about this one? It's not you, it's me. What you really mean, it really is me. I can't stand you. (laughs) How about this one? Hey, I'm about to go through a tunnel in my car. Can I call you back? What you really mean is I would rather have a root canal than talk to you right now. That's what you really mean. How about this? No worries. What you really mean is I'm really angry and worried. How about when you say I hate drama? What you really mean is I'm usually the one causing the drama. Or how about this? LOL. What you really mean is I didn't even smile. Or how about this? Your cat is nice. We all know what that means. All cats are evil. That's what that means. And then when I meet people... When I meet people, see that, there you go. When I meet people who say, who run into me and say, hey, maybe we'll run into church on Sunday. I know what that really means. It means I've not been in so long. I'm not sure I could get there if I wanted to come. (laughs) We hardly ever mean what we say. It is the truth about us because we say we want people to give it to us straight, but that's not what we really want. And when someone does, we tend to avoid people like that. And we tend to think, who are you to tell me what you just told me? What gives you the right to say that to me? And of course you did. You told them, you want, I just want you to be honest. I just want you to be honest. And then you would say, yeah, but I didn't really mean that. The truth is we can't handle the truth. We want people around us who will tell us what we want to hear. And we want them to give us permission to do what we're going to do anyway. That's human nature. Okay. We come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus speaks the truth, man and basically in this conclusion of the sermon he looks at every single one of us and he says you better deal with this in no uncertain terms he says this is a matter remember the last remember one of the lines in gladiator what you do now matters in eternity this is basically what jesus is saying as he concludes the sermon on the mount that if there is a god and god has revealed himself in the person of jesus christ then the god of the universe is forcing you to make a decision there's no middle ground you have to decide and This makes perfect sense because we've said that the real God, if he exists, would contradict you and me. And it's amazing how many people I meet that God likes all the things they like and hates all the things they hate because we've created God in our own image. That's one of the reasons the church, now not universally, not as a whole, but the church in places like the West, people think are on the decline and part of the reason is we are watering down the gospel to such a degree so that we could attract the masses. But the problem is in doing so, there's no distinction. We're no different than anything else, just a good social club. And very seldom are we willing to really be honest with people in what Jesus teaches. So Jesus comes to his his conclusion of the sermon. And if you were in high school or college, you know that in the conclusion, you don't give new information you solidify the information that you've already given. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And he starts the beginning of his conclusion by saying this Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Now, let's look at this carefully. Who are these people? Well, first of all, we're told that what they do, they do in Jesus' name, in your name. It's very clear language that Jesus is talking about people who profess to be Christ's followers. They are professing Christians. They've taken on the name of Christ, Christ's follower. They are baptized, professing Christians in church. The second thing, they call him Curious Lord. It's a very freighted word. The Romans called Caesar uh, Caesar Curios, which meant Caesar is Lord. But the Christians refused to say that because they said only Jesus is Lord. So here are people who are orthodox in their doctrine. They refer to Jesus as Lord. They believe he's the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. So they are called by Jesus' name. They claim the name of Jesus and to be a follower and they call him Lord. They're accurate in their doctrine. Third, they say Lord, Lord in Semitic languages, This carries or conveys emotion. David said to his son, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. It carries with it passion. So these are people who express emotion for Jesus. They are people with passion. They are emotionally involved. They're excited about Jesus. And then fourth, we're told what kind of life they live. They are prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles in your name. They're doing ministry. They've set up a tent and all the bells and whistles are present. And people are being converted and lives are being changed and they're having impact and effect, ministry impact. So Jesus starts out the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount by saying, here are people who are involved in ministry, bearing fruit in ministry, possessing orthodox doctrine, possessing a passion to deliver the gospel. And Jesus looks at them and says, you used to be part of my church, but you faded away. No, he doesn't say that at all. What's he say? I never knew you. We never really knew each other. You may have thought you knew me, but you didn't. And John 17, three says, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So to know God in intimacy and relationship is to be saved. So Jesus is looking at this group of people and he's saying, you got doctrine right. You're passionate. You're in church doing ministry, changing people's lives, but you're not saved. You have a relationship of sorts, but it's not the one of salvation. There's no real spiritual connection between us. There never has been. And he says, depart. I never really knew you. Now, the question is, why would Jesus take this arrow, point it, and fire it into our hearts? It's scary, isn't it? It's supposed to be. Someone said, how close to spiritual reality one may come while knowing nothing of its fundamental character. How busy you can be, active you can be. Read your Bible, go to church, pray. Be in a small group, serve in a group. Speak prophetic words. Pray seemingly anointed prayers and still be lost. You ever come into contact with one of those vending machines where you put your money in, you want a candy bar and it doesn't come out? What do you do? You kick it. You shake it. And I'm really bad at this. I'll shake it like there's no tomorrow. And I get really upset. I feel like I've been robbed And then if you shake it sometimes long enough, the penny drops, the coin drops, and out comes the prize. For a lot of people, the penny's never dropped. It's just never dropped. Jesus is saying, and I'm going to hammer this, and and I'm I'm sorry that I'm going to hammer this, but I get one shot at this. It's possible to look and sound like a Christian, but to be building your house on the sand, to have roots that don't go all the way down deep, to travel on a road that doesn't lead to life. That's the metaphor Jesus uses after this Lord, Lord passage. The sand that's built on a firm foundation, the one that's built on, or the house that's built on the sand. Two trees, one bears fruit, the other doesn't. Two teachers, one is false, one is true. It's possible to be all around the gospel for all of your life and it never transform your heart. And according to this, you may even have a sign of spiritual gifts, casting out demons, prophesying, experiencing miracles. That would be King Saul and Judas. Gifts are what you do through the help of the Spirit, but fruit is who you are and what is expressed externally as a result of inward change, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, love, joy, humility. But for some, the transformation of the inner life has never happened. So the first thing Jesus does in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is tells you to recognize that not everything that glitters is gold. This is very important for this new generation. Don't just believe everything you hear and you're very good at not doing that. (laughs) Make sure you know what a person is truly passionate about, what they're really pursuing. Are they pursuing God or stuff, hoping that God will help them get the stuff? Discernment is essential. So you have two trees. One roots go all the way down. The other is superficial. You have two houses. One is built on a solid foundation, a rock. The other is built on a weak foundation. The problem is they both look the same on the outside. So that's the first thing. Second thing, embrace the tension. Now, the next question that comes is, who on earth is a Christian then? I mean, how can I know? I'm so confused right now, Pastor Jeff. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure, Pastor, you're a Christian after you've just said that. <laughs> then he tells us, he ends, he couches, it's like bookends. Then he says this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only if you find it. Now, for years... I thought the distinction was very clear. You've got the narrow road and the narrow road is found. It's associated with the Greek word eureke. It means you've searched for something and you found it. So you're the type of person that you wanted to know about origin, meaning, morality, destiny, and you sought God. And because you seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you find him. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart, he says. So it's obvious that the narrow way are the people who search for God and found him. One of the things that really bothered me when I lived in New Zealand and Australia was their most popular phrase in New Zealand and Australia is this phrase, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. And so when I talk to somebody about God, they would say, oh, it's too hard. I can't be bothered. That's too hard to think about. It's too hard. I can't be bothered. And I'm thinking, man, you're going to stand before God on the day of judgment. And you're going to say, really? I didn't think about those things because I couldn't be bothered. You really, you didn't think meaning and purpose and destiny and origin was important enough to think about? So the narrow gate, it's obvious, it's people who sought God and found him, Eureka. They found him. While the wide gate, these are people who don't ask the second questions of life, and they just go with the flow. They stumble into this gate. It's associated with the Greek word, which is a word that means flow. So if you're on the narrow road, you saw it, the meaning of the deeper questions of life, you found them. If you're on the wide road, it's very clear. You didn't seek anything. You were like a school of fish. Just wherever the whole world went, you just followed them and never asked any questions. No need to go against the grain or swim upstream. The unexamined life is the best way to live, in your opinion. Now, this is the interpretation that I've held for years until this week. Because it's a good illustration, but it's insufficient it doesn't really capture what Jesus is saying. Now stay with me. Okay. This is going to be a little hard, but stay with me. You don't have anything that's more important than what you're about to hear right now happening later. Okay. Listen, the old translation of this verse said this straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And no, I didn't misspell straight. S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T means straight, not crooked, but S-T-R-A-I-T is a word that means to be crushed and pressed and squeezed. We use the term that says dire straits. I'm pressed, I'm strangled, I'm between a rock and a hard place. So Jesus is depicting something that at first glance It looks like it's going to crush you or smother you or restrict you. On the outside, it looks narrow and small and crushing, while the wide and broad gate looks spacious. Let me repeat that. So Jesus is saying straight is the gate and narrow the way. He's depicting something that looks like when you get to it, it's going to crush you. It's going to smother you. It's going to restrict you. It appears narrow and small and crushing, While the wide gate looks like it's going to give you this incredible sense of spaciousness. Anybody claustrophobic? I didn't know I was until my father-in-law took me to the Mammoth Caves in Kentucky. And I found out that I am. So we walk into this big wide space and then there's a place where you have to get down like this, okay, like this and go for about 50 yards and the roof is right there. And, And what makes it worse is people are all in front of you and behind you, so you can't go anywhere. And about halfway through, I said to my father-in-law, I don't feel so well. And he started laughing because that's what he does. He says, well, you're claustrophobic. I said, I'm I'm panicking. He said, close your eyes and pretend like you're in a wide space. And I tried that, but my heart was racing. I couldn't catch my breath. I cannot tell you what I felt when we finally got through the other side and I stood up and in the fresh air. I'll never do that again. I'll never go to caves again, ever it was worse than an anxiety attack. I thought I was dying. Now, let me give you a hint. Jesus is teaching. My way looks claustrophobic, but in reality, when you pass through on the other side, it's incredibly spacious. This is so intriguing, folks, because in the Bible, life with God is constantly depicted as spacious. God has brought me out of binding into the place of space. He has freed me. He has loosed my chains. I walk at large. I experience the true country. I'm out in the clean air with the birds and the trees and the sky. Spaciousness. But here, Jesus says, there's a tiny little narrow gate that looks like it's going to kill you, choke you, squeeze you. And yet if you walk through it, On the other side is spaciousness and life. There's forest and lakes and trees and mountains tipped with snow and waterfalls and beauty and majesty. But then over here, you have this wide gate. It's as big as a barn door. You get up to it, it looks like it's going to give you all kinds of space. But if you walk through that one, you're going to be in dire straits. It's going to choke you and kill you. Spaciousness leads to destruction and narrowness. Narrowness leads to spaciousness in life. Other way to say it is the broad way leads to narrowness. The narrow way leads to spaciousness. Now, what on earth does that mean? Two ways, two roads. Wide to narrow, the other is narrow to wide. Now, stay with me. This is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're not adding new material. What are the two roads then? Jesus is not saying there is a good way and a bad way, a good road, and a bad road. He's not saying there's a good way that if you follow God's moral law and obey the Ten Commandments and you pray and give money to the poor and go to church and be nice. And then there's the bad way where you just live any old way you want to. It doesn't matter how you live. You lie, you cheat, you break the moral law, you swim with the other school of fish. He's not saying that. His distinction is not between a good moral way and a bad moral way because that doesn't fit in with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You don't introduce new material in the conclusion. What do you do? You solidify the old information. And Jesus has already said, there are two trees side by side that look exactly the same, but something's wrong with one of them on the inside because one bears fruit and the other doesn't. He says there are two homes that are side by side that look exactly the same, but underneath hidden They're on two different foundations, which is why one of them cannot bear up when the storms of life come. And then he says there's false disciples and true disciples. They look the same externally, but there's something wrong down deep inside one of them. Their motivation is all wrong. And now we have two roads that appear to be the same, two roads. A road is a road is a road, a way is a way is a way, but they're not. Now, remember what we said all through the Sermon on the Mount. He said the distinction is not between people who pray and don't pray. It's not between people who give and don't give. It's the motivation. So both give, but one does it to be noticed by men. The other does it because they have a genuine sense of compassion. Some people pray, not because they relate to God, but because they want people to see how religious they are, while others go into their closet. And it's about their relationship and their true love for God. So that means when Jesus is talking about the two roads... It's not good people versus bad people, religious versus irreligious. No, it's the real deal versus the counterfeit. It's the real Christ follower from the one who says they are but are not really. Now what would that be? It's so important. You got to come to terms with this, man. This is this matters. Every human heart And every religion, until it is transformed by the Spirit of God, operates on an erroneous principle, which is what? You think that if you give God a good moral record, then God will answer your prayers and do favors for you. That's called egocentric. And it goes down deep. You still think everything's about you, and you're trying to get God on your side to give you what you want. But then there's the other person who knows. They're not trying to give a perfect record to God. God already gave them a perfect record. So they do the very same things, pray, give, and all that, but their motivation is totally different. It's out of appreciation and gratitude for what God's already done. You see the difference? On the surface, both of these people are doing the same thing. They're both living or trying to live holy lives, but the first person does it for self-serving reasons. If I'm holy, God, if I bless you, you better bless me. The other person says, God, you've already done everything you could ever do. I'm going to live my life for you. As my friend Chris Fink says, if God never does another thing for you, he's already done enough. Now on the service, they're both living similar lives, but there's a completely different operating system inside. The way they think about themselves, think about God, think about life. They lead to two completely different kinds of results. One is humbled by God's gift and lives out of gratitude. The other is doing what he or she is doing to control God. So I'm going to be good and do good things, go to church, because I want to get God on my side to get me the things I really want. So Jesus is not talking about good people and bad people. He's talking about two different groups of religious people. One who do what they do because they're so in love with God. The other's who are trying to control and manipulate God, which means these two groups are both in the church. And in the latter case, they may even believe that Jesus is God. The is right, but they never met him as savior. They look the same, like two trees, like two houses, like two roads, but they weren't. Now that's why the wide road is so big. Because every religion in the world is built on that premise. Every non-religious system is built on that premise. I don't know if there's a God or not, but if there is, I'm okay because I've been good. So your identities are tied to how good you think you are. So Jesus is communicating, you'd better get this right, man. It's huge. God did not give his son to give you a checklist. He gave his own son that you would be drawn into a love relationship where you do what you do to please the heart of the father who loves you so much that he gave up what was most precious to him so that he would not lose you. That is the difference, folks. That is the difference. And nobody knows who you really are, only you. I don't, so I would never judge you. Now that is judging, but I will discern. I will discern, but only God knows that. But you better you better ask that question. This is a matter of eternity, Now, I've got so much to say on that, but I can't. Because you come to this last section of the two roads. What's going on? What is Jesus really trying to communicate when he says that one is spacious and leads to narrowness while the other is narrow and leads to spaciousness?
1: You've been listening to today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will break this offering You are my wonder You make the wonder Today Today Today